I think that one of the reasons, one of the key reasons why we cringe at humility is because we think that humility is weakness. We think that humility is being a pushover. And yet when we see true humility in action, even though we can't define it, we find ourselves looking up to it and saying, man, that was so, so incredibly special. You see, culturally, we think of humility as weakness, but in reality, it really isn't. Humility is exactly the opposite of pride. You see, we recognize pride. I mean, let's be honest, folks. You know it when somebody's full of themselves, don't you? Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. But the Bible often contrasts the proud with the humble. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse, verse 34, it says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that passage was so important that Peter and James both repeat that in their letters. They quote that verse. So if humility is so important, what does it look like? How do I recognize it and how do I practice it? Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at a man by the name of Daniel. There's a book that's written Uh, with his name on it. It's basically a journal of his life and of the dreams that he had. And we looked over the past few weeks at how he has managed to thrive in a godless culture, a godless place called Babylon. And even though America still has a Christian presence among us, we have become so secularized as a nation And in many ways, just as godless as the nation that Daniel lived in. So how can we thrive in America? Just like Daniel did in Babylon. Not because everything is fine, but in spite of everything being faced. How can we humble ourselves in a culture that seems to have little or no regard for God? As I've said before, we tend to equate a humility with weakness, being pushed around and humiliated when really what we want to do is push back or haul off and just sucker punch somebody. But humility is different. I remember an article that I read about a man or boxer by the name of George Foreman. Some of you will remember him, world heavyweight champion for, for a period of time. And an interviewer, a reporter, was meeting with him, and and he watched George Foreman walk out as he was uh, in the living room. He walked out, but he had his grandbaby in his arm, or his his son, which one, I, I can't remember. And he was just struck by the fact that he was such the such a big, imposing man who could knock somebody senseless but he was gently holding this child in his arms. And he saw that as an apt description of humility because it was basically power, incredible power, under control, under control. Bob Russell says that humility is recognizing what God has gifted and equipped you to do and doing it with all your might. 
And that's why Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 says that whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And one way humility is modeled in the, among us is in the quality of the work that we offer, in the quality of the work that we get involved in and to whom we offer it. Because we're not doing it for others, we're doing it for Christ. And we do our very, very best for him. If you haven't read Daniel chapters 1 through 6 yet, I want to urge you to read it. Because in those six chapters where Daniel basically journals his life, and he tells us what it is that he did and and, and what his life was all about, we see that he was gifted by God to impact some of the most powerful halls of government of his day. And he didn't let the position go to his head. He had influence. He had, he had respect. He could go ahead and say something and it would be done. But he was still humble. Under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel's position allowed him to lead his boss to eventually know God. And then there was a guy by the name of Belshazzar, and we don't know where Daniel was within the structure of government, but we do know that when a crisis took place, when handwriting appeared on the wall just out of nowhere, and Belshazzar was scared out of his wits, The Bible says that the the people in the court had to go looking for Daniel. And I suspect, I suspect that, and this is just my imagination, I suspect that Daniel was a little bit older. And it wouldn't surprise me if this new king thought, well, we need some new blood in the court. And pushed them aside and gave him a lesser responsibility And the people, when the crisis took place, had to go find him. And when he came, he shared the interpretation of a sign. And because of what he did, Daniel was rewarded with prestige and honor once again. But then, as King Darius became the new ruler, as a new empire came into being, Daniel once again distinguished himself by becoming one of the top officials in that country. And in every situation, whether he was in charge or not, Daniel modeled a commitment to do his very best in the situation he was in. He served with all his heart. He served with all his mind, with all his soul. But he served God first and foremost, in that role. Folks, let me ask you, do we look at our jobs as something that we have to do or as something that God has given us to do? Do we look at the people that we relate with and that we interact with in the workplace as people that we have to put up with or as people that God has placed before us to to share His love and His mercy and His grace with? Do we see that he has us where he wants us right now for whatever season so that we can be used by him in a specific way and for his glory? There is true joy, folks, in knowing and in pleasing God. 
And one of the ways he is pleased is in our diligence in dealing with our current circumstances and continuing to honor him through it. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to him. This is your true and proper worship. You see, worship isn't just what happens here. And by the way, we had some awesome worship today, didn't we? I almost couldn't finish that that first song. It was it was powerful. It was a powerful hymn of praise to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. And I could go on about that. But for us, real worship includes how we live life outside of here. How we deal with people at our workplace. How we deal with our families. Because we're offering our work to God as a sacrifice of praise. I just came across an an article a couple of weeks ago of a census taker who is visiting uh, in a small town. He came up to this one home, and it was a rather simple home, and a lady answered the door. And normally he had people shut the door in front of him and just leave him out there. But this lady was kind. He, he, he explained who he was, and it was hot and sweltering. And she invited him in for a glass of refreshing water. And soon the husband came in, And the censors taker found out that he was a trash collector and he had been through hard times. But he had found this one job as a trash collector in a small community. And because of his hard work, he worked so hard at what he did. And and his wife was so incredibly proud of him. He was meticulous about his job. He had managed to save the little town a whole bunch of money from additional runs of going going to get other trash because he packed the trash so compactly on the, on the truck. And on the wall of the house that they rented, when they walked in and first moved into that house, the couple found a plaque that served as a motivator for them that included a quote by Martin Luther King. And this is what it said. If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets, even as a Michelangelo painted or a Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Because no work is insignificant. All labor that uplifts humanity has dignity and importance and should be overtaking with painstaking excellence. And folks, I want to say to every one of us here, you may be bored with your job. You may be looking for something better. You may be looking for greener pastures. But until you find another, you be the best at what you are doing. You honor God in your job. You speak 
with, with authority. You speak with diligence. You speak with humility. You serve with everything that you have because it is not human beings that you are trying to impress. It is the Lord God you are serving. And I want to speak for a moment to our teachers and our first responders in this room. Teachers, first of all, thank you for doing a thankless job a lot of times. I I know there are challenges with the kids, but you're into teaching because you want to impact their lives. But there are times when you have to deal with... um, Overly demanding parents. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay. State and national demands that actually can hinder your teaching. And then some students who refuse to respect you. First responders. Thank you for doing a job that often gets overlooked and taken for granted. And every time you appear on the scene, you're there to help others, but a lot of times people don't recognize it and they give you a hard time. And I say to you, if you are wondering whether or not you're doing any good at all, don't give up. Don't quit. Do your best. Honor God through it. Because he is the audience of one that you are pleasing. And you're doing that by serving others with excellence and joy. And I think that the rest of us would do well to go ahead and appreciate those who have to, have to deal with this, these situations. But I also know that there are other jobs and other challenges as well. And Daniel did his job with excellence. And that caused him to get promoted on multiple occasions. And we may or may not get that, but we do it all for the glory of God. And in his journal for life, Daniel was able to give God the glory for everything that took place in his life. And that, my friends, is humility. But humility is also going to be seen in how we treat others, how we serve them. I like the quote by C.S. Lewis who said that true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And the reality is, folks, that we live in a selfish world. And most of us in here are selfish. Let me rephrase that. All of us in here are selfish, aren't we? And maybe we have a better handle on it at at different points in our lives, but we still struggle with it at some point or another. How many of us came in here wanting songs and the message to speak to me instead of coming in and saying, Lord, how can you use me to reach somebody else and to love somebody else that feels marginalized today and who's wondering why in the world they're here in the first place? 
How can I show Jesus to them? Humility is shown in what we do, but it's most visibly seen in how we value other people. And one of the most amazing characteristics in Daniel is how he treated those pagan kings that he served. I mean, these guys didn't have any interest in God whatsoever. And a lot of times we end up writing off somebody who doesn't know Jesus and we say, oh man, they're a lost cause. If anybody was a lost cause, it was Nebuchadnezzar. The guy was so full of himself that God allowed for him to go crazy for a while. And through it all, Daniel was respectful. He served him and others well. He administered many aspects of their empires with excellence. But Daniel was focused on them as people. He valued them, and he put their interests and preferences above his very own. And that is hard to do if you're a proud person. Because proud people hide behind their position and their status. Proud people find excuses for not doing what they know they should do. Proud people are often insecure and may secretly be petrified of being overlooked or forgotten by others. Proud people often won't lower themselves to do certain things. Sometimes, folks, the reason some people resist baptism is because of pride. We're too proud to admit that we need it. That we need Jesus above all things and that we need to humble ourselves before him. Baptism is never humiliating, but it is always humbling. It's admitting that you value what Jesus says and who he is far more than you value yourself and you need him more than anything or anyone. And it's submitting to him and allowing him to clothe you with himself and to fill you with his spirit so that you are no longer in control of your life, but he is. It's declaring that you will not live a life apart of him, apart from him. And that you can't live for him and love others in his name without him. Baptism means that you trust in his forgiveness and his grace and the power of his spirit to be with you. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Someone has said that pride is that demonic tool that drives every sin and ultimately leads to hell. Pride brings judgment, not grace. Hell, not heaven. Condemnation, not forgiveness. Separation from God instead of fellowship with him or with others. You want to see a lonely person? Oftentimes, some people who are the loneliest are those who refuse to let go of pride and become humble. And yet when we pour ourselves into others and we love them as Jesus does and share him with them, we find joy, we find fulfillment, we find purpose, we find value. I love Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, 
in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. What a contrast, isn't it? What a contrast to what we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And yet Daniel practiced this verse, even though it hadn't been written yet. It was part of him. Especially those who didn't know God. And I'm here to tell you folks that as followers of Jesus, we are called to do the same. Now, most of us don't have any difficulty helping others out. I suspect that some of you gave very generously to the cause that Martin just brought up. But we do struggle when helping others will infringe, will change, or affect what we prefer or want. I came across this cartoon. The whole church watched with nervous anticipation as visitors sat where the Martins have sat for 42 years. (laughs) Are we like that? You're sitting in my seat. Or you save for that dream vacation. But then you find out a deep need that what you have saved could help there. What do you do? You get ready to meet a family for lunch after church, or your family, and you're going to get together, but then you find out that there's another family here who would be very open to, to knowing more about the church and knowing more about Jesus eventually, and, and you're faced with the choice. Do I go with my family or do I join them? You plan a quiet evening at home, but then an acquaintance calls needing to, to, to talk or go out for coffee or have a place to crash. What do you do? Or as is the case right now, homeless families converge on our church building and they take up the entire wing over there and they inconvenience some people to some degree, but they need many, many things, but mostly they need our presence, our love, our attention. What do you do? Our new life groups need to be formed And you could probably lead a new one. And that may mean getting out of your comfort zone, so what do you do? Or we know that in order for the church to be all that God wants her to be, we need to develop a more deliberate outward focus toward others by inviting them to church and ultimately to Jesus. What do you do? Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, In your relationships with one another... Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He put others before himself. He left the glories of heaven. He became created even though he was the creator. And that's how he served. And he became one of us. And he who was rich became poor. He who had everything at his disposal came and did not have a place, as he said, to lay his head. 
And he showed us a better way by teaching, loving, caring, and healing as he walked among us. And Daniel, in many ways, did exactly the same thing. He didn't compromise, but he served faithfully and effectively. And our humility will be seen in how well we serve others. And I truly believe that both of the powerful kings that Daniel uh, served turned to God, not because they saw just God's power being displayed out of the blue, but because they saw true humility also being displayed in the life of Daniel. And it was because of Daniel that they were able to praise the God of Daniel and say, he is the only one worth worshiping. Humility was modeled through service. And people need to see that in us as well. But humility isn't just modeled in service, it's also seen in sacrifice. As Will said, that we tend to look at our giving as something that we end up doing and we think to ourselves, well, I'm sacrificing. And yet that's simply recognizing that God comes first. We think that giving uh, giving and sacrificing is to give from the surplus of our time, of our talent, and of our resources. But I want to tell you what sacrifice really is. Sacrifice is something that costs us. Sacrifice is something that you give from your point of need in order to help others. Sacrifice is giving up something you love for something or someone you love more. And I think Daniel did that in the most popular story that is found in his book, in Daniel chapter 6, when he ended up going to the lion's den. He went there because he refused to compromise his belief in his God. And he was willing to put his life on the line in order to worship him, in order to put him first. And he put his comfort and his security for the sake of God on the line. And Jesus humbly faced the cross and the tomb for us. He triumphed over sin in the grave so that we wouldn't have to anymore if we trust in him and surrender to him. He sacrificed so that we wouldn't have to face a godless eternity. You see, folks, humility is sacrificial. I just got a, something from my nephew uh, recently. Um, back in the 80s, we had nothing like MP3s and podcasts and different things like that. We had these little things called cassettes. Anybody remember those? Okay, some of you don't because you, don't, you weren't born back then. But they had these cassettes. And it just so happens that he came across some cassettes that had my dad preaching. <laughs> uh, and this is back in the early 80s, about 82, 83, somewhere, 80, 82, I believe. And he was preaching, and he was, uh, he was over on the campus of Cincinnati Christian University, and he was preaching for one of the services there. And that's 36 years ago, shortly before he died. 
And he and mom were getting ready to return to the mission field in Italy. And all of us kids were grown. We were living here in the United States. We were established or being establishing our own individual lives. But this time it was different. Because mom and dad were grandparents for the very first time. They were two little twin boys that they had been able to spend time with for about nine months. And he just very openly shared in that message of how they longed to stay with family, particularly with the grandkids. We kids didn't rate, I know, uh, but that's okay. But instead, they chose to go back to Italy because the need to tell others about Jesus was so great. They sacrificed their wants for the sake of others. And a lot of times when we think of sacrifice, we equate it with missionaries like Martin. You have kids here in the United States, and you see them probably every three or four years probably, right? And you don't have any contact with them other than phone or maybe uh, FaceTime or different things like that. And we think, oh, man, that's so great, but, but I could never do that. That's too radical for me. Francis Chan says this, lukewarm people call radical what Jesus expected of all of his followers. And for you and for me, it may not mean leaving family behind, but where are you called to sacrifice? Where do you need to take up his cross and follow him? How can you humbly honor God and others by giving up something you love for someone you love even more? It may be a sacrificial act of kindness. It may be a financial gift that is challenging to you. It may be being a foster parent or adopting an orphan or paying for a student overseas through one of our mission teams that serve over there or taking a mission trip in Kenya or other places to help those who do not have the same blessings that you have or telling others about Jesus in your neighborhood, in your sphere of influence, in your lives, even if personal risk is involved because humility acts. And that's what Daniel did. That's who Jesus is. And if we are followers of his, that's what we are called to do. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus right now, thanking you for the example that you've given us. But I pray, God, that we will not be satisfied with saying, oh, that's a wonderful example that Jesus gave us. But instead, we will do as he did. We will love as he loved. We will humbly serve and sacrifice for his sake and the sake of others. God, please help us to not look at our own belly buttons. Help us 
to look up and see others the way you see them. And because you have empowered us with all our might, with all our being, help us to work as if we're working for you. Help us to serve as if we are serving you. And help us to sacrifice those things that we deem important because you see someone as being far more important. Or you see something as being far more important than our personal comfort. Thank you. I know that many of us right now are wrestling with decisions. Holy Spirit, please work in our lives. As we allow for our trust to develop without borders, and we walk on the waters wherever you may call us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.